Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessing of this day, this Lord's Day, that You have set apart for worship of You and rest in You. And we ask this morning, by the presence of Your Holy Spirit, that You would guide us and direct us through our continued study of the Proverbs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so on this topic, our topics, uh, we're looking at uh, the godly home. And last week... Uh, we looked at what's the definition of a home, and then we looked at what are the characteristics of, or we began, what are the characteristics of a godly home. Um, last week, we didn't get very far. We, we got into the characteristic of righteousness. We got into the characteristic of love, the characteristic of forgiveness. Uh, so where we left off and where we're going to begin today is uh, everybody's favorite topic, the characteristic of discipline characteristic of discipline. Um, let's look at this. I have, I have four proverbs for us to consider uh, in the area of discipline. Just a caveat, as a reminder, some of the proverbs that I have chosen are overtly about the, uh, the, the home. Uh, some of the proverbs I have chosen are not, but I believe that they're instructional for the home. So, Extend a little grace, if you will, uh, in our study uh, as I, I try to, to, to have us look at a, a holistic picture of the godly home. Let's look at Proverbs 3.12. <clears throat> For the Lord reproves him he loves, or him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. What does this proverb, first of all, tell us about the home? And then my second question is, what does this proverb tell us about God and our relationship with Him? So those are the two questions. The first question is, what does this proverb teach us about the home? As you're thinking, I'll, I'll throw out... A a possibility, um, that is, is that implied in this proverb is that there is discipline in the home, right? So discipline is actually, discipline is assumed to be in the home. If it were not, the sage could not write this proverb, could he? He's got to have the reality of his presence there uh, in, in order to, to make his, his, his point. Yes, J.J.? Possibly, yeah. If you couldn't hear him, what he said is, is that, that it's, it's assumed that the father is the one who's, who's disciplining uh, the son. We, we could make that, that inference. Yeah? Yes? So it's implied that the home with joy and delight love. That's right. That, there are certain characteristics for us to pick up on here. Uh, there is the discipline, but it is the reason for the father's discipline is his delight in the son. Um, and we all know, uh, I say we all know, th those of us uh, who have parented children, uh, we know those times where we've had to, to discipline uh, our children, and in that discipline, oftentimes, it, it breaks our heart. Uh, and, and so that's, that's a part of this. We, we delight in our children, but the other side of that is, is that because we delight in our children, we don't want them to continue in error. Yes. 
okay? Yeah, the, I would imagine that the, the implication could be the goal. There you go. The goal would be that the, the, the son would respond appropriately to the discipline uh, that his uh, parent gives. All right? So what does this tell us about God and our relationship with Him? Because look at the first clause. We're taught by the sage to make this uh, deduction. <clears throat> What does this teach us about God and our relationship with Him? Yeah, I mean, there's several things. First of all, we need to understand that God will and does discipline His children. So, again, we, we, I want to be careful here, and I, I know I beat up on modern evangelicalism a lot, but I kind of, I kind of think it needs to be a little bit, maybe a lot, but, but this rescues uh, the idea of a relationship with God that is all grace and no correction, no discipline. Because oftentimes in a modern thought process, discipline is seen as bad. But that's not the biblical understanding, is it? No, the biblical understanding is discipline is good and in fact... God disciplines those whom He loves, so it implies relationship, it implies that discipline is good, it implies in our relationship that this is part of God's working out in us, the perfection, our sanctification. Uh, Yeah, Randy? Yeah, yeah, I think that, that's, a, that's a good point and also a good reminder for us that, that while the sage can make this comparison, it's not a perfect comparison, right? Because our God is perfect. He always knows uh, past, present, and future, and so forth and so on, everything about us. And, and so what He has done, does in His discipline of us comes from who He is. Our, John tells us God is Love And so that type of discipline comes from that perfection of who He is. We cannot say that about uh, those of us as earthly parents or in a, a single parent uh, home, the, parent, the discipline of a, of, of, a, of, a, of a mom. I mean, whatever the case is in, in, in this, we see that that also the implication is, is that we are to discipline our children as God disciplines us, and that is in, in love. Yeah, J.D.? That is excellent. That's exactly where I was going is to ask, where else do we see this in Scripture? And we see it in, in, in Hebrews. We also see it inferred in James as well, don't we? And so those are two different places that we can go to to see where the New Testament writers are reminding of this, this type of relational love with God. Yeah, J.J.? Yeah. 
Or, yeah, to, to, to repeat, J.J. said it implies that there's a set standard of rules to be uh, obeyed. S- certainly that standard uh, is God's moral law, uh, as well as the implications that flow from that. And there is a, there is a right and there is a wrong. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. If you would you do me a favor though, and t- turn your head toward them and just reread, just 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 do the. And the video is not going to pick this up, but just reread. You know what? Actually, for the sake of the video, I'll do this because that's a that's a very good point. So what Chris said was the verse preceding it, which what he's saying is is if the teacher had been paying attention, he would have included the preceding verse. Um, no, I know. I know that's not what you're saying. Um, but, but he makes a great point. The preceding verse, verse 11 says, and I don't have my glasses on, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. Now, verse 12, For the Lord reproves him whom He loves, as a father, the son in whom He delights. And, uh, and so I think that, that his point is, Chris's point is, is that we're also uh, not to despise the discipline uh, of the Lord. The Lord, of course, disciplines us in a, in a myriad of ways. And I might also, just to chase this rabbit on down the road or out into the field, in the Reformed tradition, um, and, and this would go back... Uh, uh, I'm thinking primarily of Calvin's Institutes. In the Reformed tradition, we also understand discipline in the sense of instruction. Uh, so, so part of, of the way that we are disciplined is part of what we're doing this morning. Um, we, are, we are disciplined through the teaching of God's Word, through instruction, and so forth and so on. And, and all of this is included. It does not necessarily always uh, refer to... Um, di- what we might call disciplinary correction. Uh, we would understand this in a broader sense. So, excellent discussion. Proverbs 13:24. <clears throat> Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, many times modern readers will read this and they will immediately obsess on corporal punishment. And so I want to rescue this from that. Although I have personal opinions, I would imagine you have personal opinions too, scholars tell us that this is not emphatically, I know some will take it as such, an emphatic address saying that all discipline of children must include spanking. Um, Most scholars agree that is not the case, Um, although there may be among us proponents of that. But if you're not a proponent of that, that's okay. Don't obsess on it. What does this this proverb actually teaching us? It's not saying that you must discipline a child in this way. It's telling us what? First of all, note the first clause. Whoever spares corrective discipline of his child does what? Hates. 
Now, we can, and I think should, take that as poetic hyperbole. All right, but even as such, what is the poetic hyperbole of hates teaching us? Hmm. To, to repeat it. Yeah. That's good. So, so one possibility is we, we don't have a right understanding of love or how to apply that love to the, the one that we're, we're correcting, in this case, presumably a, a child. Yeah. What else? Again, hates. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. That's exactly right. It, the, 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 the sage is using that hyperbole to draw our attention to the opposite. And we see that, of course, in the second clause, don't we? We see that when he says, But who, he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So, so we see that comparison and contrast between love and hate, and that's why the, the sage is using that. The other thing for us to, to note is, is that the one who does not discipline his child hates him also implies that there is not a right understanding of that child, right? I mean, if, if we understand the child, I'm thinking about, for example, I'm reading right now Alistair McGrath's uh, biography on C.S. Lewis, and one of the things that he points out about Lewis's early life is that Lewis's mother died, and, and I, you may correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think his mother died at nine years old, and he had enjoyed a somewhat happy home life, and then two weeks after his mother died, uh, Lewis and his older brother, Warney, were shipped off to boarding school. Uh, across the, uh, the Irish Sea to England, and uh, I mean, he, he cratered emotionally. And if you've ever read Surprised by Joy, uh, he looks back in that era with almost venom. I mean, he hated that aspect of his life. And, 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 and what McGrath in that biography does is he, he really sort of hones in that to say is that this was probably a man who was grieving for the loss of his wife but didn't have enough wherewithal to think, how is this impacting my children? And so part of discipline, part of correction is, is knowing what's best for our children. And I've used this example before, uh, and, and so I'll use it again. With, with one child, my oldest son, um, the, the correction in the Clayton house was a, a bit more forceful. Um, with my daughter, the correction was a raised eyebrow, and it was a powerful eyebrow. But, uh, <laughs> right? And, and again, I know we all could use, share our own personal examples like this, uh, but part of it is knowing what correction fits best for that child, and part of that then, the implication is love, because if we love our child, we know our child, we know what's best for them, a person who doesn't really care or doesn't seem to invest themselves in what's best for the child, quote unquote, hates that child in that hyperbolic sense. Mm. To providing a 
That's a great point. Yeah, giving that child responsibility is an instructive rather than a corrective discipline. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Sam. I think that that's, that's sort of making the distinction, as the Proverbs do, between instructive and corrective discipline. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's a great point, yeah, 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 I've got, I've got a friend that, that says that, that their, their first child was a daughter as well, and he said after a couple of years, like, I'm ready to write the textbook on parenting, I figured out, you know, everybody should learn from me, and uh, then they had the next child. And um, yeah, shredded the book, right? All right, Proverbs 9.8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Okay, now I've included this proverb. Again, it's not overtly about the home, but now what I'm trying to do is trying to get us to take these things that apply to the home and also see that there is an understanding of our relations with others as well and and how that correlates with in the home. So, for example, as I have said, uh, we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And incidentally, I need to not forget that my children are my neighbors, right? And so this applies in, in that sense. What does the first clause mean? <clears throat> Do not reprove a scoffer, which seems counterintuitive, right? I mean, someone who scoffs against you or God or someone else, it would, it would, I would imagine that that would be something that we'd step in and go, uh-uh-uh-uh, scoffing no good, right? But it says here, do not reprove a scoffer or he or she will hate you. What does that clause mean? <clears throat> and as you're thinking about that, and I'm not going to let you off the hook, as you're thinking about that, keep in mind that this is a proverb that is encouraging us to compare and contrast the scoffer and the wise man. So don't forget that. There is a sense of hyperbole here, uh, but we're trying to compare and contrast the scoffer and the wise. But what does that first clause mean? Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. That's right. That, that, that's exactly right. And, and as, as in return, what is his response to you and your correction since he doesn't appreciate it or respect you or honor what you're saying? Yeah. Well, and, and, and he hates you for it. I mean, you think about this, any of us that have been in, in uh, management before, I think about back to my, my business career and managing people, and uh, there are some people that you can give uh, instructive or corrective discipline to, and, and they receive it, and it's like, wow, they, they become a better employee, and they improve their performance, and it's like, why didn't I do this a long time ago? That's exactly what they needed to hear, and they take it, and they receive it, and they're off in pursuit. And then there are times where you give correction to an employee, and they don't receive it. They think that you're the problem. They're the victim. They put up their arms like this. They're not going to receive it. And what's their response? You. You. You, the manager. 
Me, the employee, you are the problem, and I hate you for your correction. How does that happen? Well, we see it right here. The sage is saying, is this is the way a scoffer works. This is his mentality, and he hates you for the correction. Now look at the second clause. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. And again, we see the poetic hyperbole here between hate and love. We understand that, but what does the second clause mean? And again, I know it'd be easy just to say the converse of everything you just said. Well, that's right, but let's elaborate. What does this tell us about this wise person? Or this could be in the home, an obedient child. That's right. If you couldn't hear Chris, he said, it will be received and it will bear fruit. And you think about this in, in the sense of the home. There were times where I would correct one of my child, children and, and they received it and it was beneficial. There were times where it uh, led to further corrections on down the, the road, right? They weren't re- ready, ready to receive it. They didn't receive it. And, and so what it says is, and it says much of the child or, uh, or in this case the wise man, it says much about them when they receive correction and as a result of receiving it and taking it in, they love you for it because you have revealed to them something that they had not seen before. I think about, and I... Actually, I'm looking around the room, and I think we're, we're, I may be, I think I'm the only elder here today. John, I'm sorry. John, okay. I'm looking right over your head, John, at everybody else. And um, so, so I, I, I was going to say a lot of things about the ruling elders of this church. It's a good thing you're here to defend us. Now, but... But I think about there have been times where I go into a session meeting, and I'm not betraying any confidence in saying this, where, where the, the session will give me instruction. And there are times when the instruction that I'm given, I, I'm not ready to receive. And I, 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 my back may bow a little bit. And this almost never happens, by the way. We enjoy a beautifully peaceful session. But, but there are times where I'm, I'm ready to, to hear it. Uh, I mean, not to hear it, and, I, and it takes me a while. And for me, I'm a slow learner and a really slow processor, so I'm about a 72-hour guy. I've got to have 72 hours, process it, take it through, and by the time we come back to the next session meeting, I love them for it because I have gained insights. Even if we don't see eye-to-eye on certain things, I have been blessed from it. I have gained from it, and you know what I want? I want more of that just as they do as well. And so, again, while that's not the home, that's an example in the church, I think it's a good example of how this kind of godly home love uh, is a blessing inside the home as well as out. See, for example, also the next proverb, 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof (laughs) is stupid. Um, <laughs> I wish the sage would just be more blunt, right? Okay, so the, first, the second half of the proverb, we understand, uh, other than the sage has chosen to use a different word this time, stupidity. Uh, one who is reproved, doesn't accept that reproof, is, in our vernacular, we would say, an idiot, Right? That's not a stretch uh, in in the the language here. But look at the first half of that. 
Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Now the sage has introduced something here that we have not had before. The word knowledge. What is he teaching us here? The one, whoever loves discipline, we've got that. We've talked about that for the last 10 minutes. But now the inclusion of knowledge. What does this teach us about discipline? What does this teach us about our relationship with one another and relationships in the home? Okay, growth. As someone who's, who's growing in their, their knowledge. And also implied in that is a love for it. If I want to be a... I told you, we used the example a couple of weeks ago on um, uh, seeking skill. The one who's skilled, serves before a king, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If, if I want to be better at something, uh, I have to receive what? N- knowledge. I have to to grow in that knowledge. And so if I think that I'm going to get better at something by just doing the same thing over and over again, well, I'm not going to get better, am I? Probably going to go backwards. The same thing with correction. The one who loves discipline also loves knowledge, meaning that their love of discipline is rooted in their love of knowledge, wanting to know, and the presumption is, wanting to grow in godliness or to get better at whatever the case is. All right, number two on our list today, peace. Peace. One of the characteristics of a godly home is peace. I could have pulled out so many Proverbs on this, but I've narrowed it down to this one, Proverbs 16, 7. When a, man's pleased, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Again, it's not overtly about the home, but how many of us agree that this proverb applies in the godly home, right? What is this proverb teaching us? When a ways... When a man's ways please the Lord, first of all, what does that mean? When he's living in a righteous way, according to God's will, when he is, is following God's righteousness, right? So, what? What's the second clause teach us? Who gives the peace? God. Right? Isn't, I mean, again, this is one of those proverbs that we take for granted. I think this is one of those proverbs we just read right over and go, ah, of course, of course. But think about this. Oftentimes, when we think of peace with our enemies, we presume it is up to whom? Me or them. Right? Fascinatingly enough, it's... Um, Sydney will have to help me with this. What, what is the psalm that ends that he... he, he uh, uh, oh, good night. Makes enemy, even his enemies at peace when he speaks with them in the gate. What psalm is that? It's one of the songs of ascent. Um, well, she knows it because I've been... Re- I've been... Yeah. Okay, this is... She knows it. Okay, I'm just, this is going to drive me crazy. Just bear with me here. Get some coffee, walk around, visit with one another. 
Um, it is, huh? If I want peace at home, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Blessed, uh, you know, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Um, actually, that doesn't apply because the context there is the blessing of children and a reward. So forget that I said that, but for reference, it's, it's, that, it's that great psalm where it talks about, uh, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, uh, a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are, chil- are the children of one's youth, blah, blah, blah. Blessed is man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. That's what I was thinking of, which has nothing to do with this <laughs> proverb. So back to the second clause. Uh, yeah, Josie's like, nothing like putting you on the spot. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, Jerry. Oh, that is a great question. Ah, that is a great question. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with the Lord. It's difficult, isn't it, in English? The idea, and and there are different opinions on this, the idea that it is the the Lord who makes. But you could read it the other way, that the man makes his enemies at peace with him by virtue of his ways pleasing the Lord, so forth and so on. As as I understand it, and again, there are differing opinions on this, but as I understand it, it's referring to the Lord. In other words, your ways please the Lord, so the Lord is the one who makes your ways at peace with your enemies. But that is a great, that's a great question. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a great example. That is a great example. When a man's ways please the Lord. Yeah. And of course, you could also draw from that, what are some of the other Proverbs that talk about extending kindness to our enemies? Hot coals, maybe? Right? When we extend kindness to those who uh, behave poorly toward us, uh, that's like pouring hot coals. The, the sage says, where are the hot coals poured? <laughs> In their lap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's not, not a pleasant picture, right? The last place you want hot coals is in your lap. And the, the sage says, that's what our kindness is. It has that kind of burning effect. That's a great example. Thanks for sharing that. Number three, wisdom. Wisdom. By, so Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. 
All right, so now we're changing gears a little bit here in terms of, of relationship within the home, but this is specifically telling, telling us about certain characteristics of those who live within the home. And so let's look at these clauses uh, together. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. So first of all, what, what's that tell us? And you might be as pragmatic and literal here as you want to, especially if you're an engineer. Brian? And anybody else that's an engineer here? Right? First of all, what is by wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established? And instantly, I know many of you may have already shifted gears to the figurative. So pause for just a second. Just think literally, what, what does this proverb teach us? The first clause. That's it, right? So li- literally speaking is uh, if I show up on a piece of land and decide that day what I'm going to build without plans and without the guidance of a professional, so forth and so on, um, it's not going to turn out very well, right? So that, that's, it's quite simple. Now, figuratively, how might we apply this? Which we would uh, imagine that's where the sage is taking us, especially as we look at the, the Proverbs around this. But by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. We might not only be talking about sticks and bricks, right? We might also be talking about what? Could be developing friendships within the home. What else? Yeah, yeah. so for the sake of the video, mom said, if you've made your bed, now lie in it. Uh, and the idea is, is that you're, you're going to deal with the consequences that come from what, what you have done in the beginning, right? Uh, begin with the end in mind might be another idiom that we could borrow from. Yeah, Denise? That's right, that's right. So figuratively, how might this apply since a home is more than just a building? That's right. So whether we're talking about a tent or a temple, the, the, the point is, is that it's with wisdom and understanding that that household, we might say, is, is built. Uh, or we might say, again, to borrow yet another idiom, you got me going now, Randy, uh, is, is with wisdom and understanding, a house becomes a home. So maybe somebody could put that on a bumper sticker. All right. All right. Now the second clause. By... Well, I mean, here, so that goes back to our first lesson. Here, what, what the, 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 the sage is doing is he's speaking as a poet, not as a didactic lecturer. He's, he's wanting us to understand that as he uses them here, they're synonyms. They essentially mean the same thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a, a great point. And by understanding, we would mean the application, right? Of, I'm assuming that's what you mean. Understanding is the application of that wisdom. Yeah. yeah. All right, now look at the second clause. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Once again, literally speaking, it's key, he's staying with the metaphor of a house, right? So the house has now been built, and we would assume that it's well built. And now within that house are all sorts of beautiful decorations and pleasant riches and so forth. Now, again, rescuing it from the literal and taking it to the figurative in the home. As Denise said, a, a house is, is more than a home is more than a house. We're really talking about the, the godly family here, figuratively speaking. How are the quote unquote rooms filled with all precious and pleasant riches? And as you're thinking about that, let me just help you a little more to help rescue it from the poetry. If we're talking about a pauper's tent, how is a pauper's tent blessed or filled with all precious and pleasant riches? What's some of the characteristics we've looked at before, right? I mean, who would take riches, I mean, righteousness over riches if it had to be paired with wickedness? I, I wouldn't. I don't think you would either. If I had to get, choose the option, I would choose righteousness over wickedness. And yet what we see here is, again, the sage is using this poetic language to teach us about the home, that the home is filled with all precious, that which is above, above financial value, so also pleasant riches. A godly home is pleasant, when it has, and just look up at your, at your handout that you have in front of you and think about it this way. A godly home is a blessing when it is blessed with peace. A godly home is a blessing when it is blessed with discipline. A godly home is a blessing when it is blessed with forgiveness and love and righteousness. Those are the great riches that the sage and others are, is alluding to in this figurative example. And then I might have to end on this, Proverbs 29.3. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a, a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Now, we understand the second half of that clause, and I don't think we even need to go into it, but the first part of it, he who loves wisdom makes his father glad. Why is his father glad? I know you're just going to say, well, because he loves wisdom. Okay, right. We've got that. But what is it of the loving of wisdom that makes a father, that makes a parent glad, makes a parent happy? Yeah. It's really practical, isn't it? When we see our children, we see those whom we love making good decisions, making right choices, it makes us happy. It's, it's, it's quite simple, isn't it? And when we see a child, in this case, uh, the fool who squanders his wealth on prostitutes, when we see a child or a loved one making bad decisions, it breaks our hearts. Yes. Yeah, yes. No, she beat you, John. Her hand was up first. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, yeah. We just call that the pinnacle, right? I mean, I've said before, one of the, I mean, over riches in the world, I'll take the fact that my children have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the pinnacle of riches, I think. And then the application of that, because the, the, the sage is writing the Proverbs in the context of God's covenant people. In the context of God's covenant people, then we would say is that the pinnacle is that they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and so also we are happy when we see our children living out that faith. John? Yeah. That's a great point. So we'll add that to it. Uh, it, it. The pinnacle being faith in Christ. So we desire to see our children and our loved ones live out that faith, and they do so by the Word of God. And it's, it's one of the reasons why uh, we ourselves are in the Word of God regularly, so also teaching our children to be in the Word of God regularly and to develop in our children a love for the Word and to develop in ourselves a love for the Word. But you know that's my soapbox, so I'll stop there. And uh, we'll pick up next week on honesty. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father... We thank you for this study, and we thank you for the privilege of, uh, of just a sense of leisure that we can just move slowly and patiently through these Proverbs, uh, gaining so much from them. Uh, we thank you for your Word and its perfection. We thank you that it is indeed that double-edged sword that does its work. And so we ask today that by the power of your presiding spirit that you would help us to apply your word to our hearts and help us to live in the wisdom of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.